Those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepares for him. John's clothes were made of cat around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. just pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have it in our hands. We can read it whenever we want. Thank you for that privilege. And we pray that we'll be a people that are molded and fashioned by your word and by your spirit. Help us as we just think about this passage today in Jesus' name. Amen. I normally like to give uh, my talks uh, little titles. It helps with Alan when he puts them on the website just to put a label on them. I'm sure it confuses lots of people, uh, but they're a bit obscure sometimes. And I wanted to think of a title for this talk, and I had two titles. And I thought, which one shall I go for? And then I thought I'd put both down. One is Surprise, Surprise, and the other is An Unhurried Faith. And I want to just mention two things uh, in this talk. It is safe to say that John the Baptist is surprised by the coming of Jesus to him to be baptized. You'll notice that in Matthew's Gospel, we've now jumped some time. He goes from the visit of the Magi uh, to Jesus. Whether he was up to two years old, we're not quite sure. So we've jumped roughly about 28 years. So you know when you see those films and they do an introduction and then they suddenly go, 28 years later. Well, this is where we are in chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel. And John the Baptist is grown up, obviously. He's the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. He was born to them in their old age. Hopefully you remember the story he features in the nativity story. 
Remember the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, his father, in the temple and got, told him the news that he was going to have a child with Elizabeth in their old age. And, and Zechariah, great priest that he was, questioned the angel. The angel Gabriel got quite upset with him. If you want to read that account, it's there in the early chapters. He was struck dumb, couldn't speak. But the angel said to him that John would be great in the sight of the Lord and he would go before the Lord in the spirit of, and power of Elijah. Now John the Baptist, his first meeting with Jesus was, was when he was still in his mother's womb. You remember that account when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, my child leapt in my womb when you came in. That was John's kind of first encounter with Jesus before he was even born. Now there's 20 years later. And John is a prophet. And he kind of carries both part Hebrew prophet, part Christian missionary. There has been 400 years of silence since the last Old Testament prophet to the appearance of John the Baptist. And he gives that impression of an Old Testament prophet in the way that he carries himself. His father was a priest in the temple. John has given up sort of the organized religion and he is out there in the wilderness, in the Judean desert, preaching, calling people to repent. He wears weird clothes made of camel's hair. And he, he eats a diet of locusts and wild honey. I don't know if that's a good diet or not. And he has this special calling to prepare the way for the Lord. He is the forerunner of Jesus. He is anointed by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And the crowds are flocking to see John the Baptist. Out of Jerusalem and across Judea, they're flocking. This prophet who has emerged... And he's not sort of the most placid prophet that you would ever meet. Not that prophets are normally placid. And he seems to be a guy who's in a great hurry. And his message is, get ready. Get right with God. You haven't got much time. He's coming. He's coming. He's more powerful than me. I'm not worthy even to tie his shoelaces. He is coming. And I baptize with water, but he's bringing fire and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to sort everything out and he's going to clean up this mess. He is the savior, the deliverer, the judge. What a build up. What an introduction for Jesus to come on the scene. How is he going to come with that kind of build-up? You're expecting something amazing. Is he going to come on this sort of chariot? And Matthew just describes, and Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John. I reckon John might have been a little taken aback. Surprised. And he's so surprised because he says, 
You're asking me to baptize you? It should be the other way around. Jesus, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus wants to do things God's way, his way. And what he tells John is something vital to the whole gospel story because, yes, he has come. It is true. God has come in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he has come as saviour. And he has come as deliverer. And he has come as judge. But he comes in his own way. In his own terms. Last week I was on the door and uh, Terry started quoting an old song that he used to sing. of When we call him saviour. When we call him saviour. When we call him saviour, we call him by his name. I was thinking of getting Terry out to sing it to us, but he probably wouldn't want to. He has come as saviour and that is his name. And he will bring forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross. And he will rescue all who call on his name. And he has come as judge and defender. And there will be a judgment day when all of us and everyone who has ever lived will face Jesus on that day. And Jesus has come to destroy all the works of the evil one. And he will make all things new. His whole mission is to make a whole new creation. He has come as the one who can bring a lost humanity back into relationship with the God who made them. The God who loves them. And that's the key for us to understand our faith. Jesus is about restoring creation. There will be a new creation to be part of that new creation. In fact, when we trust in Jesus, we become new creations. It is the heart of Christianity to have that relationship with God restored. It distinguishes Christianity from any other religion, philosophy or way of thinking in the world because it is unique that God has come for you. And wants you to be restored to a relationship with him. God has come for us. He wants to live within us. In a real deep transforming relationship by his Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is not the goal of the gospel. It is crucial. It is the means through faith and repentance by which we receive the gospel. But it's that entry point. To have faith in Christ, to repent of our sins, to receive God's forgiveness. is that entry point into a life with Christ. To have Christ's life within us. For this life and beyond death into the new creation that God will bring. If we stop at just receiving forgiveness and not go on with Christ, 
we're missing out. It would be like going on holiday and getting through the sort of passport area and then just staying in the terminal. And then after a week coming out of the departures and saying, that was a lovely time, wasn't it? You had a great holiday, didn't you? There is so much more. Jesus has come to bring us so much more. He has promised that he will live within us. And we can have a dynamic, real relationship with God. It is that faith and repentance that brings us in. It's that entry point. Christ's death makes it possible to have that new relationship with Christ so that Christ will dwell within us. But notice that Jesus is not in a hurry. All that build up of John and John is surprised when Jesus comes that Jesus is not in a hurry. He talks about his winnowing fork. He talks about unquenchable fire. Yes, there will be judgment, but Jesus is not in a hurry yet. And this comes to that second point of an unhurried faith. Have you ever noticed that God is not in a hurry? Anyone ever noticed that? God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. 28 years since Jesus, we left him in the sort of visit of the Magi, 28 years later, 2,000 years plus since he died and rose again. He's not in a hurry. Do you know what? We're in a hurry. We're in a hurry. A recent survey of 20,000 Christians from 139 countries came up with 66% of Christians feel that the busyness of life gets in the way of them developing a deep relationship with God. Would we be in the 66% or the 34%? Have you ever had that feeling that that busyness of life gets in the way of that deep relationship with God? Of the busyness squeezes the time that we have to develop that relationship with God, our talking to God, our walking with God. And we find ourselves just in the entry point. We've put our faith in Christ. We've received forgiveness, but we've not come through to the fullness of all that Christ has for us. And I guess that would be all of us, really. We worship a God who is an unhurried God, who is patient and wants us to be patient too, I guess. I just brought a few scriptures about the Lord's patience. Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Why doesn't the Lord come back now? He wants to save more people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Paul, when he talked about his own coming to faith, he says in 1 Timothy, I was shown mercy. He describes himself as the worst of sinners so that in me Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. I would think that each one of us are glad that God is patient with us. Do you not think we're really grateful that he is patient 
with us. And patience is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps that's why Matthew tells us next to nothing about the life of Jesus from the... And it's a reminder for us that God's perfect timing. His timing is always perfect. And even time spent waiting is not wasted. If you've ever felt that there's been wasted years in your life, it's not being wasted. God has a purpose even in that. 28 years of obscurity for Jesus... He was a refugee in Egypt, then he grew up in Nazareth, this way out of the way place. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he grew up in Nazareth. Anyone ever heard of Nazareth? Yeah, we do now. Not then. Grew up as a child. A teenager. Imagine Jesus as a teenager. A young man around Galilee. And when Joseph died, and we don't know when Joseph died, but Jesus would have become the head of the household with brothers and sisters to care for. He was a carpenter. And perhaps meditating as he worked with the nails and the wood. I'm always amazed by Holman Hunt's Light of the World. I use it in Alpha Talks all the time. But he had another painting that I really love called The Shadow of the Cross. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There it is. It's coming up. I don't know if you can see it, but Jesus is just stretching out. And Mary's looking up at the shadow on the, the wall. We have another close-up. There we go. Whether he had, even in those days, an inkling that that's where he would be. And he would have watched, thanks Sarah, he would have watched as his friends got married. He would have been a single, childless, 30-year-old, so rare in his culture. And he would have lived with all the day-to-day temptations of life, which is that he never sinned. From Hebrews 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And that's so important, isn't it? Because because he was sinless. He is our all-sufficient saviour. The reason why Christianity and faith is not about works is because Jesus has done it all. He lived a perfect human life and offered it on the cross For our imperfect human lives that we might have a relationship restored with heaven, restored with God, that Christ may live in us. And so for 28 years, as Jesus patiently waited, obeying his heavenly father, he lived a perfect life in obscurity. We read in Luke's gospel that the age of 12, he was in Jerusalem and he could dazzle the Jewish teachers in the temple at 12 years old. We read through the account of his baptism and then straight after his baptism, he's driven into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil and with just three well-chosen verses of scripture defeats the devil's temptations. 
We're told that Jesus taught with authority, unlike all the teachers of the law, unlike all the priests and the rabbis, he taught with authority. It's that unhurriedness that we can see that 28 years of preparation for three years of public ministry. And finally, at the right time, Jesus comes out of Galilee. And John's given this big build-up, but Jesus just comes and is baptized. He says to fulfill all righteousness. Have you been baptized as a believer to fulfill all righteousness? Have you taken that step of faith and repentance, believing in Christ, but you've never confirmed it in believer's baptism? Well, maybe next Sunday morning is the time for you. It's not an optional extra in the Bible. It's one of the commands that Jesus gives to believe and be baptized. It's part of that ongoing growth in faith and that developing that relationship with God. Not one of us here this morning who's a believer in Christ would say that we've reached the goal of our faith. Our relationship with God is so good that we have nothing more to learn or nothing more to grow in. But don't we have that longing in our heart to know more, to grow more, to have a deeper relationship with God? And the thing is, we can. We can. We don't have to settle for just coming in at that entry point. We can go on and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled again with the Holy Spirit and be filled again and grow in faith and understanding and that developing relationship with God. All of our lives. We can have new encounters with God in our 50s, praise God. In our 80s, praise God. In our hundreds, win. Praise God. Do you want a fresh encounter with God? Jesus came and was baptized by John in identifying with a lost humanity. And at his baptism, God the Father announces. There is the Trinity at his baptism. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and God the Father announces, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. I believe that God honors those times. And Jesus comes just at the right time. When people say, why was Jesus born just at that time? All I've got in the scriptures, it says Jesus was born at the right time. Doesn't satisfy many people, but he came at the right time. And he died at the right time. And when he comes again, he will come at the right time. And we're not on the planning committee for that. We're just on the welcoming committee. So as we serve Jesus day to day, whether at home or at school, in our workplace, or if he gives us the privilege to serve him overseas in whatever capacity, we serve him waiting for his glorious return. But he has so much more for us even now. 
So as we begin this new year, I know we're already a little bit into the new year, but why not say, I want to walk closer with Jesus this year than I did last year. I want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus this year than I had last year. I want to seek him. I want to try and read his word more than I read it last year. I will keep calling on his name. And I will not have a hurried faith, but I will have an unhurried faith. So we can come this morning and just cry out to God for more. That God would revive us, restore us. If we need forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. It's that relationship that we have ongoing with Jesus. To ask to be more fruitful for him. Ask God to break our hearts again for his church, for the lost, for the nations, for the persecuted. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart. And draw near to him again and again. It's one of those no-brainers if I say, does anyone want a closer relationship with God? And you think, oh, no, I'm not sure. I'll take some time to think about that. And of course we do. And that's part of why we worship together. It's part of why we come together to call on his name. We have those moments in our week where we can say, yeah, I'm just going to focus on the Lord this morning. So I'm going to ask Phil and the band to come back. We're going to have a time where we just worship together. And you might want to sit, you might want to stand, you might want to come out for prayer. You might be sitting there saying, I'd love someone just to pray for me at the beginning of this new year, just to have a fresh encounter with God. We're going to make this space, time available, just to be in worship together. And respond however you would like to. Maybe you just need to sit and talk to God. Pour out your heart to him. Maybe you want to pour out your heart to him in the songs that Phil and the band lead us in. But let's stand together as we begin and pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you have made it possible for us to know you, to walk with you through this life, even into eternity. We pray that you would bless us as we come to worship you now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you fill us afresh this morning? Would you fill this room with praise? Maybe as we began reading that verse from Revelation, we'd be caught up with the angel's song, caught up with the whole of heaven in praising you. Lord, each one of us want to know you better, want to know you more. And even if you're here this morning, you haven't taken that step of faith in Jesus, we're just so grateful that you're here with us. Would you just be enveloped in in the presence of God. If you want to respond, that's great. If you feel that that's not where you're at, that's fine. But just allow the songs to fill you with the love and the, the peace of Christ because he loves you, cares for you.